Hey everybody, thank you for clicking this episode of The Pickin' Parlor. Uh, Mike Gentry was a great guy to sit down and talk to. Uh, very insightful, had lots of fun stories. I wish we could have got to more of those. About 20 minutes in, my main recording interface died. Thankfully, I had a backup running, so you shouldn't notice too much of a change in audio, but if you do, it happened. I'm sorry. It's a low-budget operation I run here. Be sure to like Mike Gentry's Facebook page called Mike Gentry Music. While you're at it, go ahead and give the Pickin' Parlor a like, and why don't you give Burt Franco Music a like as well? So without further ado, I give you the Pickin' Parlor, Episode 2, Mike Gentry. chalk and outline it <laughs> it's like a anthony's little uh, project he's got going on there i oh. hope you don't mind the cameras no I, I i don't i don't know what's going on so what are you doing what is this <laughs> this is part of my uh i'm, a con- I'm move- making the movie become what's called a content creator oh uh-huh. <laughs> and uh oh so somebody doesn't make any money <laughs> <something> like, <laughs> fills up fills like... up the content holder that somebody makes a ton of money with <laughs> yeah no it seems to be that way doesn't it yeah that's like, what uh, i always tell my friends that are like in you know brewing and whatnot <laughs> i say you know what you what you really should be making is beer bottles. Yeah, oh yeah, that's yes. right. Because everyone, they always need beer bottles. <laughs> exactly. Like you did. That's all you need is bottles. This is, a, this is a move I've been making for, I've been trying to make since uh, September. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've been trying to make the move to have a better online presence. Yeah, as long as that's pointed at you, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> so, looks like it's it looks like it's got. And, there, and there's a lot of uh, a, there's a lot of content uh, creators out there that are making a living at it in some way. Uh-huh. And it's it's not so much the live like the money because there's no there's none in it right now for me. It's more of like what's the next step as a musician and as a creative person. Uh-huh. And the internet now has given us so many outlets, and I right. I would just be a fool not to take advantage of them. Even right. if I'm even if I am just copying some other people that I've seen at first, right. it's no different than the reason why I picked up a guitar. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. so uh, so I'm trying it. Yeah. So I saw your um, the thing about um, your struggles with <laughs> sixteen by nine and, and four oh, by three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I found <laughs> the uh, put two together. <laughs> I found the set to frame key on Premiere, uh-huh. and it made my life so much easier. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know why that was such a big discovery, but it, it was like eight hours, and then YouTube fixed it for me. They just they just had a little thing that says, "You want us to fix the cropping on?" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> oh, really? And it worked. Yeah, yeah, because they used to have this old thing called YT. Um, crop, YT colon crops uh, 69 or whatever and we just fix the video for you and they stopped uh-huh. it but now if you type it in they just give you the option so oh. uh, yeah of course they freaked out for about 8 hours and I, this is a learning curve I'm learning how it's how, a massive learning I'm, curve I'm learning how YouTube works I'm learning a lot about of course too like a couple months ago right when I started uploading videos again and taking uh-huh. YouTube seriously they changed the the for the better they changed they, but they changed their policies in terms of when you can monetize and like uh how AdSense works, you have to have like a thousand subscribers or right, something like right, that, right, or like right. a hundred or something like that, and you have to have like a thousand hours of, of viewing time. Like, people have to watch you for that long. And oh, the, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. And of course, like, they changed it, and it's it's for the better. YouTube's always trying to become better, there's nothing vindictive about it, right? But of course, they took that away, you know, like, because originally, like, you could start a channel up from what I gather, and then just, like, right away after 30 days or something like that, just start putting ads on the thing and collecting cents on the dollar, you know, because you're not getting a lot for ads. Right. Even, like, the millions of clicks. But, like, again, that's all pipe dream. (laughs) That's not the real reason why I'm getting to it. It's more just just getting to it, you know, expressing more of my creative side in a different way. So 
That's cool. And so I, I urge all my music friends, musician friends to do it because it, it'd be foolish not to. Like, this is the future. We're in it now. It kind know? of is, isn't it? it? And you right. got to ride like the YouTube wave. YouTube is kind of like radio used mm-hmm. to be, right? And it's going to be around for a little while longer. I know people are talking like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Well, right now we have this thing. What, and right, right and the, now, all this thing will do is prepare you for the next thing. <laughs> you know, right. so. Right. And, and the content, if mm-hmm. there's another thing, it's still going to be video. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the content is still going to go across from one platform to another. What's weird is the videos, like the likes on YouTube versus the likes on Facebook, or the, the views. Because uh-huh. Facebook, it automatically plays stuff, and people use that more. Right. I noticed that when the last couple of videos I've done, I've uploaded to YouTube and linked them to Facebook, uh-huh. it takes you to a separate player. Right. So it takes you it takes you in the Facebook app to a separate player, so people right. oftentimes don't like clicking on it. Whereas right. if you direct directly download or directly upload it to Facebook... It'll play right in... Yeah, the... but there's no way of monetizing on Facebook. So I'll be starting a Patreon once I get a few more videos under my belt and get a feel for how to keep That's this pace cool going. That's you're like... That you're exploring all of these, these new... I have to. You're like an early, ad- <laughs> yeah. a, a, a early adopter... <laughs> I'm, I'm following the footsteps of a handful of my favorite YouTubers. Let's put it that way. Oh, you know, really? They, they do all that, and I even support a few of them on Patreon and stuff like that. So that's really cool. It's there's I don't see why people aren't doing it more. You know, like well, it's it's probably because there's just so many hours in the day to do what it is that you do, anyways. Yep. And um, if you're not naturally adept at um, at technology. Yeah, yeah. Um, or that if you have any, um, you know, oh, I'm just not good with computers. Oh, yeah, yeah, or, the self-doubt thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're right, right. Well, the self-doubt thing yeah, is, yeah. The, is the limiting the limiting factor in mm-hmm. all of life. <laughs> I was just tell, I was just talking to my dad yesterday. I was because he was he was t- telling me about the video thing. He brought the same mm-hmm. thing because I posted that thing online. Well, I learned a lot about the aspect ratios, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, "Man, Dad, you know, I, I wish I would have studied this stuff in school." And he goes, "You still can." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess I guess, I, I guess there's <laughs> right. nothing stopping me from going back to like taking a community college course on video editing." Right. I thought, "Well, that was really dumb that I was mad about that." You know, right? <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like like I could have predicted that video editing would have been something that I wanted to do back then, or what? Even though even then, so maybe one of these days I'll do that. Well, have you always been interested in, um, what, what, what is it, I mean, that you're... I'm interested in attention. <laughs> right? I'm a, I'm a middle child. Oh, <laughs> you really? Know? So, like, uh-huh. so for me, like, p- probably part of this is natural, like, playing the guitar and then singing in front of as many people as I can, and then, uh-huh. and then getting their attention and keeping their attention. Uh, I, I, follow, I follow the likes. I like the views on Facebook and YouTube, so uh-huh. I think part of it's that. You know? So how can I manifest this in the least douchiest way possible? You know? well, uh, and, and, and how do you, um, how do you determine, I mean, are, are you, is success, um, is that determined by the how many people are oh yeah good question watching it or liking it i don't i don't think it is i think it's just for me it's the uh it's the endorphin release you know Uh oh such and such liked it you know such and such liked it you know so So, it's stuff like that but on top of that too i I do get a sense of completion when i've got something i'm really proud of right so even if it's not that great you're satisfied by just the creative process Mm -hmm. like i've got uh, i've got a pretty nice uh, i say nice it works for me an at-home recording setup I love it. What is it? it? I use Studio One. I've got, Uh uh, I use, you know, I got this blue microphone that's in front Uh of you now. I've got all sorts of directing guitar interfaces and Uh stuff like that. And I'm so rewarded by just spitting out something that I can think of, you know? Right. 
even if it doesn't turn out that great. Because I'm not great at mixing. I've only got like headphones and like a Bluetooth speaker, and that's all I mix on. <laughs> you uh -huh. know, that sounds terrible even on that. But like, I, I'll send out stuff to get mix and master. Like Dave Roof will mix and master stuff right. for me from time to time. Uh -huh. There's a studio down in Akron called. STA level, STA level. I'm, I'm sure Jeff is going to watch this video. Sorry, uh, bud. You know? well, well, there, there was a, a compressor, the famous one, the Gates, and a, a stay level. Oh yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could have asked and, him when I talked to stays Jeff the other day. Level. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I could have talked to him. <laughs> I, I think that's that makes sense. I, I think that's what it is. I mean, that's what I've heard people call it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll. Uh, but I, I mean, I'll pick his brain next time I, I talk yeah, to him because I've, I've got more work I'm going to send to him. I think too. So, and, you know. and so, what? It, what's this? <laughs> this mess this system right now. <laughs> what? What is this? This is uh, this is part of what's called the Pick and Parlor podcast, which is another uh -huh. idea. Again, uh, do you do you ever study? Uh, do you know John John Lawrence? Do you ever do you ever go to Washington Community College? I, at all? I, I did go to Washington Community College, and I, I know him. But I don't know him was, well. Was Morris Lawrence in charge when you were there? He, um, when, when I, I went there late. Okay. You know, because I went and did the, you know, Hollywood, you know, GIT 80s. Oh, really? Rock and roll thing, you know. Well, I'll have I, to ask you about that. I, yeah, I went there in 86. <laughs> um, I ended up staying there for eight years. I was born in 86. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so. when I moved to Hollywood. Oh, wow. I was 23. Right. Yeah. And... You know, Paul Gilbert was my single string teacher and stuff, and we <laughs> nice. were closet kiss fans and stuff, and <laughs> and uh, you know, so that was kind of that thing for me. And you were born in '86. Yeah, yeah, December, almost '87. <laughs> oh yeah, so you missed out on that whole. Oh yeah, I did. Shred or die era. I get to look back on it, and we with were, hindsight, you know, probably actually kind of lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, I consider my position in history pretty lucky. Because I, I do get to look back with retrospect, and right. I get to see the catalog as a whole, which is which is amazing. Yeah, know? it must so, be weird. Because I remember getting records, you know, in like 99, you know, 2000, mm -hmm. and not knowing anything other than what's, what's in the cover, and not knowing which one came first oh, or which right. one came second. Right. And, you know, you start thinking in your head, how does this work? You know, right. stuff yeah, I'm like a pre-Van Halen player. <laughs> oh, wow. that That's a big deal. Yeah, so yeah. I started playing, and then um, that first Van Halen record came out. And uh, it it separated, you know. Oh yeah. It changed stuff, <laughs> you know. All, all the, the neighborhood older dudes with mustaches and bell bottoms and stuff—they're <laughs> yeah. like, "Wow, man!" <laughs> they didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I remember taking the Van Halen album to school to my uh, band teacher, Mr. Wolfolk at Dexter, and saying, "You got to listen to this," and he was like. You know, eruption. He was like, what is that? And I said, it's a guitar. And he said, that has to be like some kind of, you know, recording trick or something. And I said, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I think he's, I think he's playing it. <laughs> and um, that really was like a, you know, a, a watershed sort of for guitar players, you know. Mm -hmm. It was a whole other thing happened. And... Um, People were like, you know, trying to figure out what he was doing, and um, that whole dexterity thing happened, and I think that's really responsible in a lot of ways for like '80s rock. You know, oh yeah, no, absolutely. I've got a, I've got a picture of me 
real young. My my parents gave me their record collection, which was only like eight records at the time. Uh-huh. One of them was Van Halen. I got a picture of me with this Hawaiian shirt holding it up. And <laughs> I was just at my dad's place, and he's got it hanging up. I thought that picture didn't exist anymore. I thought we lost oh, really? it, you know? Like, yeah. And he goes, oh, no, we're going to digitize it. I'm like, good, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stick it in this thing so we have it. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. But it's just, just me holding up this. I don't even know how a record loads. Still, I still don't. I still never really loaded a record before. Really? I've had them. Uh-huh. Like, and I had a, a DJ turntable, which uh-huh. is which doesn't have as many functions. It just You just drop the thing, and it spins. That's all you do. But there's some of them have this lock mechanism and stuff like that. You know, oh, that, 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 they're pretty simple. I mean, that's all you do. You just set the needle <laughs> you know, in the groove and goes, yeah. turn up the volume <laughs> until your parents complain, and then you know you got it. Okay, I'll, I'll, when, I, when I get enough space on my own, I think I'm going to invest in the oh, final yeah, and see what you happens. Have, you, you have know? to have a... So you asked me um, to do this, and yeah. I'm still... A little bit mystified as to why you uh, and why 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 chose you. Yeah, I, I see you online a lot. Right. Because I don't really I'm know sorry. you. I don't really know you. I know. I yeah. mean, I saw you the one time when I was in here. I think I, I think I may have met you maybe once or twice. And you were in between lessons. Probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and the thing is, I see you online, and I see I see you have really wholesome posts, and I like what you have to say. <laughs> and but, but the thing was, I see you I see you recording with Dave Roof. Yes. And yeah. I saw Don Dennison in the same room and, with you, and I thought, man, that's got to be awesome. And and you <laughs> right, and he played on your stuff. And he does. He and still he does. Oh, he still does. Yeah, always, always does. <laughs> right. he, he sends me back. I'll send him just garbage, like, uh-huh. like just like off the top of my head. These chord progressions and these half-written lyrics, and uh-huh. I'll just copy and paste stuff over, and I'll put a bass line together, and it'll be over the course of three days. So my guitar settings have changed halfway through, and right. I'll normalize. I'll normalize the audio, and it sounds terrible. Uh-huh. It won't have an ending, and I'll send it to Don. And three or four days later, he sends back these perfect captures. And, and and he'll have rewritten an ending if he needs to. He's done that for me now twice. Yeah, because he can play like a bunch of stuff. But even just on drums, he'll just right. he'll just play the ending on. on I mean, he I played bass with him for years. Uh huh. So I, I part of my meter is built into him. Oh right, right. Like and I say that because like I've got a really poor meter, but when I play with Don, he's he, he's so he, something about his playing just ignites me and gets me working yeah. with him so well because yeah. he's such a force. And uh, so when I hear him play an accent differently or, or write, essentially write an ending, uh-huh. I, it, it makes sense to me, you know. Right. So oh, right, right. it's really cool that he's imprinted that on me. And so so <laughs> seeing that picture, you were like, oh, yeah, I need to talk to like, that guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, this has to be awesome. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I, I've known him for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, because he was like the drum guy at Al Nally music. And, I know and that he's told me stories about it, but I, they all seem really uh, amazing. And I believe him. But it's like it's like he's got so many characters in these stories. Oh, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard a, to follow. You it's know, all true. I believe it. I mean, he was the guy. <laughs> What's cool is that the drummers that I've played with over the years, um, when they saw it on Facebook, they were like, "Don," you yeah. know, because they bought all of their stuff from him. Back. Oh yeah. I mean, everybody did. Everybody oh, yeah. knew who he was. Because he was the guy at Nally's, so that's where everybody went. What was Al Nally's? It was a music store, but was there also a recording or a publishing portion of that thing too, or is that different kind, store kind together? Of, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if it's still together, but um, Blackfoot, that they train, um, train, right? Yeah, they were a, a Nally thing, and there was a studio in the basement. Okay, and you know, I don't know a whole lot about that that part of it. Um, the, the people that were involved um, in that were. A good bit older than I was because I was just, you know, 17, 18 years okay. old. Okay, what year was, was that? That, when I was first going in there, when they first um, moved into that store on, right by the Fleetwood Diner there on Ashley, um, that was in the late 70s. Okay. And it 
you know, the times were good then. I mean, I bought, you know, a, a 63 white SG Junior there for $225. Had the P90 pickups in it? Oh, or? Yeah, just one. Oh, well, just one? And it was killer. Rock and roll machine. Oh, yeah, I bought that and a 60s uh, single pickup um, Sunburst um, Melody Maker. Um, the same day and paid four hundred dollars for the pair of them. <laughs> nice, it's a single I mean, pickup on the Melody Maker yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, that one, you know, just with no pole pieces and just a little skinny one that everybody hates. Yeah, yeah. but now everybody likes. Mm -hmm. Just like everything else. We had one stolen from here. Um, yeah, one I, of those. I think I had. I think I only had one pickup in it. Yeah, uh -huh. at least last I heard. I haven't worked here since November, so you know, oh, yeah. or October actually. My last day was September. <laughs> right. So, so you, <laughs> you, you said that you, you always saw the, the posts on Facebook and they're wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like what you the things I like what you have to say because you're always you know you're out and about and you're doing stuff. I've got a lot of musician friends who are quite frankly just full of shit. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's, it's every post is you know great things happening next week and nothing happens next week. You know, like, <laughs> right. and it's just like big things in the horizon and there nothing no big well, things in the horizon I, and stuff like that. But you know, I think I, Bert, the, the thing that <laughs> you, that they realize um, is. That you think about the history of like Michigan music and, and south, even southeastern Michigan music. Yeah. And you think of all the thousands and thousands and thousands of great songwriters, great guitar players, great musicians, great singers. I mean, this area has some incredible talent. And how many people actually break through to be, you know, the person that ends up on one of those Time Life music collections, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That goes out and has a real music career, and it's maybe, what, a dozen a dozen people, you know? It's like winning a lottery. And, or, you know, when you go out on a Saturday, right, it's like winning a mm -hmm. lottery. You go out on a Saturday afternoon to any local um, school district, and you see the kids playing Little League or, you know, whatever league baseball. Yeah, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids playing baseball, and they're all like, "Man, I'm gonna get on the Tigers," <laughs> and they've been thinking I'm gonna play on the Tigers since the '50s. And I went to school in Dexter, and there's been thousands and thousands of kids playing those diamonds every weekend for 50 years, and not one of them has ever been on the Tigers or <laughs> ever made the majors from Dexter ever. And music's the same way. You know, and, and the thing with music is there's no shortage. It's not like, oh, man, we really are hurting for music these days. I wish someone would come along and play a song. It's like, you know, 50 people show up for pizza. Yeah. You know, and it's the sad thing is that you don't even have to pay people anymore. You mm. know, and and even, even if you wanted to, you know, you just, I, I always make a joke about, that you know the vinyl and all the musician friends you know they're like oh vinyl's going to save the music industry because you know you it's a physical thing and everybody wants it and you can't download it but i mean with the 3d printer right <laughs> how about that <laughs> it's going to be print your own record kit you know and it'll be the 3d printer and they'll have this special formulation and then there'll be a bunch of you know cork sniffers that are like oh i get my vinyl print toner from you know so and so and it'll be some boutique yeah. shit <laughs> you know? i never thought about that and so people just print their own and then everybody will be screwed all over again you know is it a uh, neil young had the the device and the and the website 
He had like a Zune, like like an iPod, but for oh, audio yeah. files that that played like uncompressed files. Yeah, the Pono. That, that probably had to be massive, like with the storage capacity. That to yeah, like, was the triangular thing. <laughs> something that like, like a that, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a weird dude. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> well, didn't, it didn't work. And like you said, like it, it's it is a lottery, and it's and people you know people don't make it the way that they used to. And I'm no. not even sure people have made it the way that they used to since. I don't know. I mean, I, it's I, been a few years, you know, I, I, but that's, and that's the whole thing. Like again, with this moving into content creation thing and sort of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks between right. a podcast and my, you know, my, right now my plan is to do an original song, a pod, uh, a gig vlog, a podcast, like what we're doing now. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, a lesson or some sort of observation of music that I have. Uh-huh. I've got ideas, you know, and stuff like that. And I got stuff in the works and we'll see what else, see if I can stick to that schedule over and over again for uh, the rest of the year. Is my plan. That's fantastic. Well, the thing that's cool about it is that if you have kind of like a, a variety to it, and you're approaching it from a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of different angles like that, you mm-hmm. probably get a um, a larger audience, and um, especially if you have lessons. Oh yeah, yeah. And like that stuff that you were just playing out there, um, <laughs> you know. That super cool like stuff. The Chet Atkins stuff. Yeah. I got a video surrounded that stuff coming up soon too. The the problem that I have with a lot of people that are doing that stuff online and and giving lessons with it is that they try to show um, too much of it um, instead of, you know, and they'll show you a whole bunch of licks and it'll be this long thing when really... um, what I would like to see, and this is what I, I think is missing, is say if you had just a simple chord progression like G, C, and D that everybody knows and everybody can do, and over the course of several um, lessons, mm-hmm. you expand on what you can do from just your straight, you know. And but but to have this, yeah, because somebody might not play guitar, and and like you but they need to get to a certain level to be able to be turned on to your thing it could work but if you have something that's all the way from the beginning from yeah, the, yeah from somebody that just bought their esteban guitar <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know they lost their keith urban <laughs> dvds <laughs> yeah. and they come and they you know what i mean and, i know exactly and, and, so then and then you add on to it until you're doing the what chen atkins would do to oh, a yeah. G, seeing yeah. a d chord so that people could see what the logic is in learning these basic baby steps along the way rather than already have to have two years of guitar hands I know, right? to handle what they're doing. And most people assume that you already are at a certain level. And there's not a lot of people that are in between that beginner and that, oh, that's over my head. Yep. You know, you, what you need is the pool that gradually gets deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, not like wading pool and then the ocean yeah <laughs> that's part of the thing too is when i'm talking to my you know just talking in front of the camera to myself uh-huh. i just go a million miles a minute and i just edit stuff out and i realize i forgot about talking about this and talking about that and talking about this and talking about that okay so okay, part of this yeah. whole thing is even helping me become a better explainer and you know the thing is when I, I, I taught lessons here for um you know 11 years and something like that and this and was your home this was this this room of course there's a lot more posters you know and there <laughs> and there was no piano sitting over here you right. know so and uh what was great is when when youtube really became uh more so much more popular it made my job so much easier because 
there were already people online that took the time to learn these really difficult pieces that were spitting them out right. and edited, you know, controlled context to students. And all they needed out of me was, you know, is this, what technique here? Am I holding my pick right? What's the next thing I should do after this? Right. You got to become more of a coach, which is really where I shined, you know, because the thing is right. that with all this technology, you got to take advantage of it. It's right. like sink or swim or, or you know, right. if you're gonna, the thing is, there's lots of people that make their living and are able to, are happy with their art the way it was. 20, 30 years ago, and they're doing it now. Right. That's their enrichment. And not that I'm not trashing that. Right. I just always need to go further. Yeah. Know? Like, I, 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 I feel like that um, myself sometimes. Um, like, well, what would I do if, you know, somebody actually, like, liked a song and wanted it to be on something, and, you know, how mm -hmm. does that all, <laughs> how does it all work? And, uh, like, I, I tell people still um, now, that at this point I still have not tried to get a gig yet. Really? No, they just come. That's that, there is a certain point where that happens. Of course, now I'm, yeah, I'm far just, away, so they don't happen so much anymore. Right, but know? they ju they just come. Like I I started playing, um, um, you know, just solo acoustic because I, I always thought that I would um, when I was you know had kids in my early thirties, and I thought that that when I you know, was done with that, I'd go back and play music live, but, you know, stuff happens, and you just feel different when you're getting out of bed in the morning, and <laughs> the stuff that you thought you were going to do when you're 32, when you're 52, you're like, uh, I don't feel like doing that right now, um, and so uh, I got a smartphone, like, right about the same time, and what I sort of did um, should I should I talk about this? You can, talk, this? you can talk about anything so, you want. This so, is our time. So okay. So he, so here's what I did, um, and looking back at it now, I can see that it was actually that it was smart. But at the at the time, it just I was doing it for you know different reasons. But so I started going out and playing, and I was like, okay. And I didn't know all the people that I know now, mm -hmm. and I've met some just incredible, amazing people in just the last three years. Just unbelievable, and. Um, so I took a little notebook with me and I would write down, you know, oh, this person and they played like a blue, you know, Ivan as acoustic and they played these songs and write down their name and I'd write the songs that they played and what I thought about them, you know, technically and artistically and visually and made some notes so that if I saw them again, I would remember their name. That's, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to, okay, I've got to learn who the people are and what they're doing. And so then I, I started to think, well, you know, there was Facebook. And I'd been on Facebook for six years, but never posted a thing ever. Hmm. I, I'd never posted a thing. Because my wife's like, well, you're going to need to be on Facebook. Just like she was like, well, you're going to need a cell phone. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> so then she eventually, right about the same time, well, you need to get a smartphone if you're going to do this. And I was like, well, no, I don't. Yes, you do. So so I got a smartphone. She, you know, made us go and we hmm. did the thing. And, and so I went. And so I was like, well, I'll just take pictures of the people, too. And so then I started to figure out when people looked the best when they were playing, yeah. which is usually when they're talking in okay. between songs. And I would, like, watch them, and, like, I'd go, oh, when they're singing the chorus, they really go back, and they're really getting into it. So I'd go, okay, cool. So I'd wait for the chorus again, and I would go musically with them. And then people usually look really great, too when they're just the last chord is ringing out and they hear the first bit of applause. Yeah, yeah. A little smile. And that they're done. <laughs> yeah. And that they're hearing, you know, that they're getting that <laughs> feedback from people. And so they, they they look, you know, they have that look like when they were a kid. 
And so I, I would ask the people that were playing, and I just went to open mics, and I would, you know, say, hey, are you on Facebook? And they would be, yeah. And I'd say, well, is it cool if I friend request you? And they would say, okay, that's cool. So I'd get home that night, and I would friend request all those people that were at these open mics. And they would say, oh, yeah, that's that guy that was, you know, at Plymouth or wherever, <laughs> yeah. or some fish fry in a basement of a church somewhere or whatever. <laughs> and so then I would wake up in the morning, and there'd be 10 people that were, you know, they're my friends now. And uh, so then I would post the review of everybody that played and post a picture of them. Yeah. That was like a, a good one. Some people just take a picture and... It's called good, yeah, it's yeah. Like and they're not going to be happy with yep. that one, you know. Yeah. And so then I'd pick the ones that looked good of them and put them out there. And I was going to like four or five open mics a week. Jeez. And I was just relentless. I just went to tons of them. And um, pretty soon I ended up hosting an open mic. And then I ended up hosting another open mic. <laughs> and and I just people were like, hey, so-and-so is playing. Do you want to open for that person? And then just really really cool i started getting really cool like fill-in openings and then it would be like somebody that's like some unbelievable national person yeah you know, like ian fitzgerald this guy it's from rhode island who's just he's better than everybody oh cool yeah if you don't know who ian fitzgerald is he's he's like this anachronistic dude from another planet with <laughs> lyrics that are just He's just better than everyone. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, then I then that happened, and I met people, and I ended up um, recording uh, people. Like I recorded Ed Scruggs. Oh yeah, fan. is this like at your? Do you have a studio? No, I, I went to his house. Oh okay. Yeah, and he, Ed was difficult to record because he he just had this leather couch which was squeaky, <laughs> and so he had this leather couch, and he didn't want to sit up or nothing. He just wanted to sit back on his leather couch and his dog running around and play his guitar and sing his songs. And so I had to mic him where he was, kind of. And so he just did his thing, and I came back over course of a couple days. And he was great. I, I love Ed. He's one of my very favorites. And I recorded Mike Vile. Um, Mike Vile. And he he is a, just a fantastic um, songwriter, guitar player, just person just a really super great guy and um, I was just watching what he was doing and he we went out to someplace at Acorn Theater and played out on the west side of the state and we were talking and I just had this idea that you know I bet yeah I could he wanted to do a like one you know straight through no fixes no anything no overdubs takes so I was thinking I was like you know I bet yeah I could do that I bet yeah, I could record that record and so I said, I bet I could record that. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. So one thing led to another. Then, you know, a couple months later, we were in a cabin up in Indian River or something like that, up north for three days. And we did 150 takes, um, three songs, and he just killed it. Wow. And it's a great record. And um, so, and then that sort of, you know, and so the combination of, like these open mics and recording people and then getting these gigs and all this stuff just sort of I, I think the whole thing is trying to help um, people um, do music yeah. to encourage them 
it's like you do when you're teaching, you know, like what you're saying when you're a coach. Mm -hmm. You're trying to encourage people um, and make them feel good about themselves and about uh, about playing music and what they're doing. It's a great way to, to grow the community, too, and the network. Well, and it's just, I think it's just, it, yeah, I, I guess that's the, the natural outgrowth of it. Um, but the... Um, the cool thing about it is, is like when you when I was taking the pictures of people at open mics and posting them and saying good things about them, um, a lot of people in their personal life, because um, music, you know, when you're when you're woodshedding and you're just going through your stuff and playing your your songs mm -hmm. and learning how to play guitar and stuff, it it takes a lot of hours, and if you're in a relationship with somebody or if you have a family or something like that. Um, they can kind of be giving you the let's go do something yeah. Oh, yeah. and you're like well I am doing something I am <laughs> this, is, towards something. this yeah. is doing something and they're hearing you know <laughs> you know what I mean and they're like they don't want to hear this anymore <laughs> but you and, have to do it and you, and you have to do it and you have to pour your million hours into it and so it's hard sometimes to justify, especially when you're not making all kinds of money and you're not getting rich and you're not getting famous. And a lot of people aren't even tangibly pursuing a career mm -hmm. in music. Yeah. You know, their significant others aren't like, well, how come you're not out there making flyers and, you know, going and doing the whole thing and got a street team mm -hmm. and getting a t-shirt and a bumper sticker and a pin and a pic with your name on it and all that kind of stuff on a website and la 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 la. And they just love to play music because music is awesome and it's the best thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I noticed that when you post a picture of somebody on Facebook and they look great yeah, and they're doing their thing and they're on a, on a post with eight or ten other people that all look great and they're doing, they're all playing music and they're all happy and somebody is saying something great about them online that it makes that it makes it easier um, for them in their personal life to have that time, mm -hmm. and maybe it gives them some measure of support from their other family members or the people in their immediate family. It's not a bad way to look at it. You know that it's just if they think that what you're doing is important and that other people are enjoying it, you're more likely to to get the support of those people and. I, it's a good way to look at it. You, you, but it, you know, my, my wife and I, we talk about this a lot, you know, and because uh -huh. she knew what I was when she found me. Right. <laughs> and, right. like, and and it's it can be, it can either be or appear to be at times a very selfish activity. Right. Because totally. it is something that, that yep. you know, I can't tell you why I got into it. Right. You know, the, the, the old adage, you know, what made you want to be a musician? Right. I don't think I had a choice. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, right. The army wasn't going to take me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah. I, I, and so it, it can appear to be that way. Right. It, it is such an internal thing, and it's something you only really do for yourself. Right. At least, at least that's my perspective on it. Uh -huh. I'm not going to speak for everybody. Right. You know, I know a lot of people pick up an instrument with pipe dreams. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Like, uh, and I, and of course, too, I remember being a kid, like, and like, what's going to be my backstage list? Oh you yeah. Know, you know, right. What, what, right. what kind of demands am I going to make? You, you make know? primitive drawings of like the what the what the, <laughs> the stage, stage looks plots, like. <laughs> my guitar, my own custom guitar. Exactly. You know, when, when Fender right. comes knocking, they want me to play their guitar. Right. They're going to change something. Right. Know? Right. And, uh, the whole, I, you know, I went through uh -huh. the whole thing. You yeah, know? Sure. 
And and I had a That's big, awesome. I had a real big uh, dose of reality when I, my first year at Washtenaw, uh-huh. when I sat in, in, a, in a music theory co- class. And I I hadn't I known how to read music my whole life. My first uh-huh. instrument was accordion. Uh-huh. Uh, after that, I had to play a little bit of piano. Oh, so you and you I, knew how music went. Yeah, and I had to I had to stand over my dad's shoulder while he played the piano and I played the, the lines with him and stuff oh, like that. You know, right. I had to. So I I had a, had a pretty good grasp of the basics of it walking in. But it was the first teacher when I, when he he had, it was Dr. Naylor. And uh-huh. he landed us all up and he asked, what are your goals? What are your goals? What are your goals? And I remember telling him, like, I, I want to I want to make my living playing music. Uh-huh. And he told me I would never make a living playing music. Uh-huh. And I, I was so mad. I remember I finished the class. You know, I, I, I got a, I got a, like a B or something in the class. Uh-huh. And years go by. Years go by. I've already, I've got a job now. I've been doing it for about four uh-huh. or five years. I'm playing bass with Billy Mack and the Juke Joint Johnny. Right. I'm playing every weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm teaching on top of the whole thing. I remember I started another class to finish music theory too. My chest all out and everything. Like I'm all, I'm all you know, hot shit. And at that point, he called on me and said, you know, what are your goals? And I just, all the, flood, all the anger that I held flooded. And I realized that was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I was, I was some stoner kid. I was late to class all the time. And <laughs> right. after he told me that, it seriously straightened me up. I was just like, no, I'm gonna do this. Who's this guy to tell me I can't do this? Right. And he was the guy that I was the other than that. Family and friends tell me, oh, you're great. You're gonna do great. You're gonna do this whole thing. First guy said, no, you're not gonna do great. <laughs> you you, you, you can't even show up to class on time. You know, like right? the whole thing. I needed that. <laughs> and ever since then, I realized like all that spite and all that stuff just left my body, and, and music stopped becoming a, a competition. Because up until that point, for me, it's always a competition. I wasn't wanting to be better than the next guy. Right? No, I just had to be. I just have to be good, and I have to be good right, and true right, to myself. Right, right, right. And I'll find it from there. You know? So how how old are you now? I'm You're... 31. Oh man. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm just oh. as clueless as I was at 21. Oh, no, it's, it's a great age to be. You've got a perfect age to be like where you're at and what you're doing and, and how this is going. You know, you, you from 30 to 40, yeah. and, you know, you have a, a, I mean, you're just a great, great guitar player, um, you know, with, with a way that you play. You know, you have, you have a thing that you do. You know, which I think is important um, that you, I mean, I think every great musician um, has a thing that they do. Mm-hmm. The ones that do a whole bunch of stuff that are all over the place, um, there's, and there's great people that can play a whole bunch out of different bags, and, but they're usually like studio guys that you end up never, really never hearing about, and they actually make a, a living. You know. I call them nexus points or yeah. or or, or uh, was it melting pots? People yeah, that, yeah. People that can grab that can so much from everywhere. Yeah, that can play. Every, we just talked about Chris Costello. He's that guy. I oh don't yeah. Know. I, I've seen I've seen him play Chad Atkins licks and I and I see him play like heavy metal licks because that's all, all the kids in Ann Arbor wanted oh, yeah. to play when he was teaching at Herb David. Yeah, you know that's the same with guy. like Brian Delaney. I don't know if you know him. I I've only I know him by proxy. I know right. him through. Um, Working with Don Dennison, he gave me a record, right. "Kiss Me Screaming," yeah. which is one of my favorite things to listen yeah, to. Yeah, because him and I, we we <laughs> same same class at Dexter. He was a map of the world, is that right? Yep, he was a map of the world. He was in the Faith Healers. I mean, we were the first band that we were ever in. We were in a band together when we first started out. Really? Yeah, called Max. And what year was that? Nineteen eighty. 81. 81, Okay. Me and and Brian and his younger brother Tim. Who's a great musician, Tim okay. Delaney, and a drummer, um, Brad Salt, um, and 
singer from California named Mike um, DeMay. He went by Mike Rowden at the time. But, you know, they were like a flashbang, you know. Okay. Dressing up, you know, rock and roll, smash guitars, drummer <laughs> blue fire. Where'd you guys used to play? You know, anywhere that would take us. Oh, yeah? And, um, yeah, it was a really, really good band. The, the singer, Mike, he was from California. And so he hipped us to um, stuff that didn't come here for years. Really? Yeah, we were playing... Like ahead of the time or just like... Way ahead of the time. Way ahead of the mm -hmm. time. So, like, we were playing a song, um, you know, I'm Insane and Street Legal and these songs from this band, this L.A. band called Mac Mita, who... And he had a tape from them, and they eventually turned into Rat. So we were playing songs that were like off of the first Rat album from 1984. Oh wow! In like 1981. Oh, were you wearing spandex back then, or? Oh that, yeah, well, I I, I, I wasn't quite spandex, but I had on some like things that were kind of. You weren't shopping in the men's section. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. No, there was this place called the Chess King or something like that at Briarwood Mall, and it, it was the place that was very dimly lit that had a lot of spiky things and leather things and brightly colored things and you know um sleeveless shirts that were like half black and half white with like lightning bolt in the middle and jumpsuits with tons of zippers and you know you know yeah oh yeah i know and so and we, when we just we bought it hook line and sinker man we we were we just went for yeah, like to just be shocking, like for Dexter, and we had Marshall Stacks and stuff, and we. Had, yeah, you mentioned Dexter before. I have to ask you about that too in a second. Yeah. Yeah, we we had like great gear. Um, we had some people um, from Alley, uh Kevin Gillespie, who helped us with a lot of stuff. That's a we name were, I've heard before. Yeah, and he's yeah. a he does um, video stuff now, and special effects, and he's he's extremely really? yeah. He's a fantastically, you should look him up. I He's will. a Facebook friend of mine. Very, very super talented dude. Um, and really super good guy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, totally nice. legit. Um, somebody that you could put, you know, on your list of people that, you know, aren't going to, you know, they're just good. That's excellent. Um, yeah, he's cool. I got to ask you from yeah. that time period, were flash pots a real thing? Yeah. Okay. So we, you, so you crazy idiots we, we, would, would get lamps and what? Pull the, the light bulb out, put gunpowder or whatever in, no, and plug them in. What we, what we did? <laughs> oh yeah, we did. We did okay, we, all right. So here, here's what you do. All right. Is regular old house fuses, the kind that screw in that got like a light bulb base. I've, I've seen those. I live in the day of the breaker, but yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I, I, okay. I had to well, replace they, a they those. screw in, and there was ones that had you know, and they got the little you know, fuse that blows in there. And there were some that had a plastic cover. So they had like a metal cover and then inside there was a plastic window that you could see through. Okay. And if you took a Stanley knife, you could cut the plastic window out. So you could cut it out. So then we made um, out of plywood and then we painted them black and then just got regular old, you know, light fixtures, the porcelain ones with a socket in them and screwed them to the bottom and had four wide in each um, thing, which, and it was cool because we made them so they could double also as a light thing because they just had a light fixture in them. So you could just right. buy your garage floodlight, you know, and put them in there and then, you know, staple some gels over the front and you were golden. So 
we took those and then we had them connected to a box that had switches in them and all the switches had outlets. So then we just plugged these things in and so we could, when you switch the switch, yep. it would just go to the fuse and the fuse would instantly blow and when the fuse blew and then you'd fill it with flash powder. Okay. Which you got at the magic shop. You know, you could buy it. That's my next question is where do you get exploding yeah. powder? Okay. Yeah, that, that makes the, sense. It's a magic shop and you could get that and you could get flash paper and stuff and you know. And I was really into magic when I was a kid, so I knew all about, you know, all of the bad stuff. And um it would just make this unreal like cloud of stuff smoke that wouldn't go away really fast either. So if you did it in a place, the lights would look really cool. That was the main thing because if you had you guys are breathing all that stuff in uh, and everything back then. Oh yeah, that's probably why I got a brain tumor, man. <laughs> Freaking flash pots. But yeah, flash pots were a thing. We smashed stuff. The drummer blew fire. He did the thing Jeez. with the keras. Oh yeah, with, okay. with like lamp oil. Oh, yeah, oh. lamp oil. And he, what he did too was cool. He did like a Van Halen thing, and he had mallets, and he would put them in the lamp oil, and then put them on the t put the lamp oil on the top of the cymbals. Yeah. And then he would light the cymbals on fire, and then blow fire. <laughs> I had a bass player that did that with 151 rum. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> right. Uh, that, I mean, that's. I mean, that's. Figures but I mean, what's funny is I get my my band's complaining when we got to bring lights and a PA to a gig. How, how am I going to convince them to bring flash pots? <laughs> no, <laughs> of course, we don't do that anymore. But no, still, right. I, I got to tell you my million dollar idea that I okay, had. Okay, here's right? your million dollar. So idea. speaking because you you said something about flash flash paper. Uh huh. As I I have been carrying this around in my wallet for years now. On Stelly over here. It's my last fuck. It's the last one. <laughs> it's the last. And I thought, man, what if I made 10 of these in flash powder and people would be like, when they're just pissed, oh, here's my last and just blow it up. And, and it's, you, just, you just made me give up. You know? <laughs> I, 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 it's genius. Yeah, I thought, I thought, here's my work. last one. Yeah, that's my last right. one. Are you just going to use it up? And it would instantly <laughs> like, disappear. Yes. I, so, it's, but the problem is you got to carry around least, your wallet. It's at least a thousand dollar idea. It sounds like a, it sounds like a million dollar lawsuit if I get sued on it. Right. You know, if you take like a regular Fender, like 351, you know, those ones that look like fake tortoise shell. Yeah. Those oh, catch on fire. Oh, we learned that. And they disappear. <laughs> a little they don't like melt or anything. <laughs> they just fire, just comes oh, yeah. out. I thought, it, and so I was like, that's going to be sweet. And I went to play. And the second I touched the string, the string broke. And so that sucked. <laughs> I was like, because the fire just, yeah, you know, of did something did. when it was under tension. It just snapped. <laughs> so that ruined, that was going to be really cool. So we've, we've gone through a little bit of Alley Alley's in the 70s. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, and then we did 81. We did with, uh, uh, with, what was the name of that band? That was called Max. Max. Okay, that's right. All right. And then, I have pictures, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You have to send them over. I'll try. I'll oh. edit them in the video. Oh yeah. How about how about uh, moving onward then? So so what what happened after that? I, I had an all original um, trio called True Story with a, just a, absolutely just incredible great drummer. Were you playing a lead lead guitar? I was, I was playing just guitar and singing. It was just a trio. Okay. And it was me, a bass player, and a drummer. And we were outlandish and we dressed wild. Um, what year was this? This, is this was in the early 80s. Early, still early 80s? Mm -hmm. okay. Still early 80s. And I would dress up like a harem girl, and I had short hair at the time, and it was almost white. And I would do it with pastels and have like light makeup on it. Had a like a pink two-piece harem girl <laughs> bell-bottom thing with gold lame embroidery on it. I was skinny at the time and stuff, you know. And, and the bass player, would would he would wear nothing but... 
And this was a, just for special gift, nothing but a loincloth that was made out of actual gorilla fur that was outlawed. My aunt had it, like, well, my grandma's aunt had it, and it was from the early 1900s. And it was just this ratty scrap of gorilla skin fur, and he wore that and nothing else. Yeah, and, to see it one of the shows. Right, but he was, he was like a good old farm boy, and he was like, you know, I mean, a dude was... He was serious. He could, you know, break you in, in two. And uh, he, we had stopped at Kentucky Fried Chicken. He had short hair. And he rubbed his body with oil and, like, a charcoal briquette. So he was, like, filthy and dirty looking. And uh, then he would stop at Kentucky Fried Chicken. We'd get a Pepsi or Coke or whatever it was and one of those coleslaws. And he would take the Pepsi and get his hair pretty wet with Pepsi. And then scruff it all up because the Pepsi, once it dries, it like got the sugar in. So it's like wicked gray hairspray. So his hair would be completely just messed up. And then he would take the coleslaw and stick the coleslaw down into it. And so it would all be like stuck in because it was little teeny white pieces. You know, it's got the small fine grain coleslaw. So then when we'd get up there, I would be on stage first and he would come creeping up from the side and he would like come up like he was some, you know, a caveman. So he's like, ooh, when he looks at the audience, you know, like, whoa. And, and I'd be like, you know, come on, come on. And he'd be like, ooh, when he'd see me, you know. And he'd come up and he'd grab the face and, ooh, he would like. So that's look. what people did before the internet. He would, he would, right, exactly. So then when he would do the thing, though, he'd be at one thing and he'd be like, then he would like shake it off and sort of like go through like some, you know, weird, incredible Hulk metamorphosis and suddenly be like a rock and roll dude. And he would do this thing and he would do a Gene Simmons, oh yeah, and do like this one and then he'd shake his head. And then the coleslaw would come out oh, <laughs> and, so this, and it would catch the lights because it was all yeah, white. Of course, yeah. And so this stuff would fly off of his head oh, <laughs> and go all over the place. And so he'd be like, oh, <laughs> like King Kong or something. What a wild time. <laughs> and then we would just, then we'd rock. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> we'd rock with the people and we'd play like real stupid little three chord, like super slow, like <laughs> sentimental ballads and stuff. People like, what the? Fuck. <laughs> oh, sorry, I shouldn't swear. Yeah, but that was other people that would say that. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah, never yeah. say that. Um. Well, okay, so so what what about what about present time? So I know we we we're gonna we're eventually gonna start talking about the record. How about we talk about it now? So okay, what, so what, what then, I, then I moved to California yeah, yeah, quickly. Yeah. Um, I had read Stratocaster, Floyd Rose. Ooh. I made weird um, charts about how Floyd Roses worked. Because like the G string goes down at the same rate as the low E, the B string goes down half as fast. So if you want to end up with this, you could start here and go, oh, and this will go, and this will go. So oh, fascinating. So you could play chords and stuff with it, or you could do, and then dump that and play whole, you know, oh. way apart melodies, and it'll, they'll, they'll, both those notes would stay right in tune because wow. the G and the low E go down at the same rate. That's so, interesting. Yeah, so I had these like rate of descent charts, you know, this string versus that string versus that string. So I was really into Floyd Rose and into the whole, you know, two-handed thing. You said a red, was it like a cherry, like a, like a wine red or a fiesta red? It was red or a Krylon oh, okay. um, Cardinal All right. red. I want to get spray my painted. It was a 68 um, Rosewood fingerboard with huge frets. Of course. And uh, an old... It, for a minute in the 70s, Gibson potted their humbuckers with an epoxy, 
Okay. And I had an epoxy humbucker that I spray painted white because I didn't like the silver in the pit guard. Yeah, yeah. So I had a humbucker in the bridge and the two single coils. And uh, that guitar was great. So I went there and... Um, and the, so this is 86, up, by the way. So 80, I mean, this 86, in Hollywood. Okay, sorry. 86 went out there, yep. ended up um, working at A&M Records um, for five years. What did you do at A&M? Um, I worked in the mailroom. Okay. First, I worked in the ad merch um, warehouse, and then um, the ad merch warehouse got moved to Indianapolis, and so me and another guy, Russ, Russell Chappett, uh, we were the warehouse guys. Okay. And A&M was such a, just a tremendous place. They didn't just go, oh, the warehouse is closing, too bad for those guys, and then we were gone. They wanted to take care of us, and so we both got jobs in the mailroom, and he got a job as a driver, uh, and he would, because we had a um, A&M West that was a small office that had some people in sales and some other things that was in Santa Monica or somewhere out there, mm -hmm. and he took all the mail that came to the main place out to them and went to all the other accounts and stuff that we serviced. And um, so I worked in the mailroom there for five years, but I got to meet all of my heroes. You oh, know, cool. That came, that came recorded there. I saw, you know, Aerosmith every day for five weeks. I saw Metallica every day there for six weeks. I saw Kiss there. You know, Amy Amy Grant, the Neville Brothers, Soundgarden Neville was Brothers. there. <laughs> Janet Jackson was there. Sting was there. Crazy. Um, you know, and all these just fantastic people. And you got to kind of see how the the sort of the business worked you know and some yeah. like man just some famous recording people you know Shelly Yakis was there at the time and, that's fantastic yeah so it was it was very cool to be around that and to be in studio and watch how things work and how they didn't work and that whole thing plus you know I was playing out there all the time and had a band and, yeah and we rocked for the people you know We'll have to uh, we'll have to do some more stories sometime soon because I want I want to talk about what your new project now. Well, the, the, okay, the, the, the new project now. You're, you're, so so let's put it this way. It's it's just oh. this. Yeah. You know, and this is kind of where it's weird, Bert, because it started out, and I was just gonna do. Um, you know, I've always I play everything. I play guitar and bass and drums and you know front French horn and you know a little bit of French everything. horn, two barrel or was it two valve or. It's, single valve it's, it's it's well it's four really the four other one's got a thumb and three um so i didn't really know what i was going to do if i was going to do a solo just acoustic record but like i was saying you know, i'm i mean i'm not much of an acoustic guitar player i mean there's like leo cockies and guys that can your pick and play you know what i'm saying it can play like acoustic guitar and it came up on it and stuff mm -hmm. and i came up on you know rock and roll i like riffs i like playing to drums and so playing guitar, just acoustic by yourself, it's a different, it's oh, a yeah. different thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I play with a real light touch left-handed, and I like a lot of fluttery stuff, and it just doesn't translate on an acoustic guitar. Um, you know, a lot of legato stuff, and I liked bending strings a lot, and you know, really stretching stuff. And again, it doesn't translate to acoustic guitar. The right hand touch is much lighter. Yeah. On an electric guitar, you don't sit there and drive the two and four on an electric because it just sounds dumb. Um, the drums are doing that. And so your right hand technique is all different. Um, but I've always been a songwriter more than a 
guitar player, hopefully. Yeah. You know, I've never really wanted to be like the guy that, you know, goes and plays and there's 15, you know, guitar players sitting like we are like this. <laughs> like I do from time to time. Right, and just look at, oh, I could do that, you know. And I never really wanted to be like that guy. And I just wanted to play songs. And I came up like Loving Elvis and Johnny Cash and Peter, Paul and Mary and Phil Oaks and Tom Lehrer and Frigid Pink was like the first rock band that I loved. They had a House of the Rising Sun that I was just yep. like, I heard that guitar sound. I was like, wow. And when I was like seven years old, I came to Whitmer Lake High School and my mom wasn't going to let me go. And I wanted to go with the neighbor guys because they were like 16 and they were like, oh, let's go. And, and I was like, and my mom's like, no. And so I cried. And the next door neighbor's mom said, oh, just let him go, Mary. So they took me. And then they got high and they forgot me. And then they had to come back and get me once they got home and remembered that they didn't have me. So the acoustic guitar, as far as like this this record, I thought that I was just gonna, you know, be doing that. And then I started playing it more and more. And like I was telling you, and I thought, well, I'll just play all the instruments and I'll do it like that. And um, so, uh, you know, a few months before I was gonna record, I started playing the drums more and just going through and playing the songs how I thought they were going to go. Um, I don't think I have uh, the discipline to find a like, verse beat and a chorus beat mm -hmm. um, to because I always want to like play right to what's going on and stuff. And the other thing is that the hi-hat is its own whole separate instrument and there's a, especially with slow songs, and I have a lot of slow, sad songs, mm -hmm. that the delicate of the on the hi-hat and how to get that touch that's just right and how to do brushes, you know, and to stir the snare, stir the, you know. Stir the soup, yeah. Yeah, and to stir and to get that touch and how you, you know, don't play the cymbal too loud. And it was the touch thing. I could get the rhythm, I think, pretty close. And I was listening to like that Tom Petty Wildflowers album, and I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be able to play with that level of sensitivity for four and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was talking to Dave Roof um, at Rooftop Recording up there in Grand Blank, and um, I've known him for a long time. We worked together at Herb David's in the 90s. And, and um, so I had worked with a couple people on on songs for the Michigan Resistance. That's right, yeah. And so I had worked with them, and a friend of mine, um, Dave Solo, who I had met, met at a songwriting workshop that was Jazz Obrecht. The, I know jazz. Yeah, guitar player, um, editor guy. Um, he, this is like almost four years ago, he put a thing in Craigslist, you know. Songwriters Workshop. That was the first one that he was going to do, just to see what would happen. And I was like, I know that guy because he was started being the editor of Guitar Player about when I started playing guitar. And so I went there and, and ended up going there until he stopped doing. It. I went to you know every Sunday for three years and hung out. And so I met this guy Dave Solo there. Dave Solo played on this Resistance thing, had some great songs. I helped him in the studio. And this other guy, uh, Michael Snyder Barker, I helped him put his record together. I don't like, I don't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um. Mickey, right? He goes by Mickey? Or do I think he's one of I don't know. I don't know. He, 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 he could. It could be, you know, It could, could be anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, people do weird stuff in their own time. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, he's a, he's a really great guy. Oh, absolutely. A, a, a real, um, 
he really tries to help uh, local musicians. Mm -hmm. He's been a really, really helpful person to me. Um, but Dave Solo, anyways, he, um, he said to me several months back, he said, hey, I'm going to want to record a record in the spring, summer of 18. If you will produce it for me, I will pay for you to make a record at yeah. the studio. And so I was like, yeah. And through working with Dave Roof, we have a, it's hard to explain. There's a, it's almost like I start to say something to move my hands a certain way when we're sitting at the board and he will already sort of know what I'm doing and or what I'm thinking. And he has just such a tremendous facility um, with Pro Tools that in the time you can think about what you want to have happen, he can just make it. Yes. He can make it happen. We, uh, we did uh, Cindy Lou's uh, newest EP there. We finished it like Christmas Eve or, or uh -huh. maybe the 23rd. And um, we must have spent probably eight or nine hours just doing the bed tracks uh -huh. um and we only had like six songs or something like that i think um but we you know we had to get it right we, we wanted to do all of us there and right. then i did and then i did the solo separate and then i came back for the mixing session and the thing is i have very limited patience for this stuff uh -huh. I, I don't like sitting still in fact I, we've been sitting still this long you're a fascinating person that's how i've been able to sit oh, still i'm, I'm sorry no you're great that's it's because because i love your stories but like something about like uh, if I play the guitar, and okay, we got it. I'm done. I want to leave. But I right. have to be there for this thing. But he is so patient. And just and he, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm really glad there's an adult in the room. <laughs> right? <laughs> because like, cause like, I'm just like bouncing off the walls. Like, I'm ready to go. And, I, you know, like, and like Cindy and John are like, you know, fascinated with the mixing thing. And, and Dave's just so patient. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a skill level I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I love oh, the yeah. whole studio thing. I love the minutiae. Oh, that's, that place is a temple, man. I, 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 I walk in there and I'm inspired to play yeah yeah you know but <laughs> I, I love the nerding out to that stuff yeah and so i doing the michael snyder barker record in particular he played a whole bunch of instruments on it and mm -hmm. he just was killer oh yeah i mean he played like stuff like santana he played stuff like brian setzer nice he played you know stuff like um keith richards he played just just great and he was you know he could really play all kinds of just everything he played bass and mm -hmm. he played organ and keyboards on stuff and he sang great harmony and so when I, I was just like okay i'm gonna have to probably he's gonna probably have to do stuff on here and he played great bass on some stuff just a couple nights ago mm -hmm. and you know when i played with don we we had some stuff um dave and i sketched out like i was telling you earlier mm -hmm. um he had like made these custom like tempo tracks and mm -hmm. stuff to things that I had recorded these custom click things and, and then when Don got there I was just like I just want to play with that guy yeah. you know he serves the song and so yeah and so we just ditched out on that stuff and he watched me through the window I yeah. showed I went out in the studio and while he was deciding, you know, well, what sticks am I going to use? What brushes am I going to use? What symbols am I going to use? Which one of my awesome, like, boutique snares am I going to use? And how tight is the snare going to be? Am I going to put a moon gel on it or not? And, you know, he's just a... Uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's going to hate the fact that we're praising him so much. 
<laughs> well, he's just he's just gonna have to. He's a humble guy. He's, yeah. He, he, oh yeah, yeah. And he, but he's just gonna have to deal with that. Yeah. Because um, you know, I'm very particular about drummers. Oh yeah. And uh, there was something you know about playing with them like live, you know, hearing them in the phones and watching them through the glass and playing. Um, and you know, I could you know put the accent points with the guitar and hold my arm up and move it over here like ride symbol or this and that and we just had this way of communicating like through the glass and through the headphones that um it just felt like rock and roll and it felt like music to me you know and i haven't like felt like gotten like adrenaline awesome. off like that in a long time that's great you know how, how close are you to being done with it so far is the what, what, what stage are you in Oh, we're, it's still it's still very beginning. It, well, I, I would think so. Okay. Um, maybe a quarter of the okay. way. Yeah, maybe thirty percent. You always always feels like you're further behind the eight ball than you are. Then all of a sudden you're mixing something like whoa. Well, yeah, and we're, we're I think that as we're going along, we're get we're really getting sounds as we're going along. We're not looking at it as like oh let's you know fix this yeah, later yeah. and that kind of thing. We're trying yeah. to get it to how it is. And what helps is that I've got a studio at my house, mm -hmm. so I can do guitars and vocals at my house. Because the vocal is probably the thing that I'm the most um, insecure. Yeah. It's probably not the right word. Um, because I'm pretty secure in the fact that I'm not really that great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's, it's, you know, some, expectations. some people can, you know, sing anything and their voice just is beautiful and they just have this tone and this um there's just singers are singers and I, that i can do what i can do um right now is just it's because i've practiced a lot and i've sung a lot mm -hmm. and um it's taken me a long time to um to get comfortable um with singing how I sing um, because there's a couple and this is what's kind of uh, where I'm at with this record is that there's a way that I will sing um, and, and if I'm thinking of it like oh a singer and I'll go for these like you know the right tone and the right pronunciation and all this kind of thing and be really detailed and work on my vibrato and get everything nuanced and all that and I listen back to it and I think oh that sounds really nice but I'm not sure that, that sounds like me and then if I just go at the sounding like me um, I'm not sure that that sounds nice you know because there's like a, you know when people you hear them and you see them and they're making like a singing sound yeah and you're like, that doesn't sound at all like the dude I was just talking to like two seconds ago. I know or, and, and women, I think, have an even harder time now because there's a, a way that female singers sing like now, like, you know, modern, that's really, um, you know, like there's a certain like Amy Winehouse, Adele sort of thing that's happened. Um, and so I think female singers even are afforded less latitude than guys. You know, and probably the same and with their looks, too. I think a lot of that has to do, and I, I've noticed this trend, too. You know, auto-tune has come along and, and changed things. Uh -huh, yeah. I feel like auto-tune has its, has its own sort of aspect to it that, uh -huh. for the most part, some people can hear or can't hear, depending right. on who, who you're talking to. 
but I feel like that timbre, that it, whatever timbre or characteristic that it destroys in the voice, people hear those records and then begin to try to emulate, em, emulate yeah, you know, that. That's a good, that's because a, like when you, when you, I mean, you came up listening to stuff like Zeppelin or whatever, and you're used to that hissing tape sound, right. and the way that the, the, especially in vinyl records where the bass was different yeah. than an MP3, whereas me growing up in the time of MP3, when I hear something that's super compressed, I think, that's it, that's finished, right? <laughs> Someone sent me a WAV file right. just last week a WAV file of one of my songs along with the MP3, and I, I, I'll, I'll click the MP3 first. Okay, there it is. Now I'll check out the WAV file, and I was like, "How am I hearing a difference?" Like, and, and and the thing is, I'm not saying it sounded better. I'm saying there was a difference. Oh yeah. So I think when I, since auto tunes become a thing now, people begin to try to, and even when I record harmonies, uh -huh. I want them to sound like that country record. Right. You know, or whatever, the, where right. the harmonies are spot on and perfect. Right. Sugarland or something. Exactly. Right. So, oh, I, so, right. I, so I'll dump my background vocals in <laughs> and uh, I use Melodyne. Right. And it just because it's, it's a, that's a home demo thing. Right. You know, on a record, everyone's going to be singing together anyway. Oh, yeah. And we practice that for hours and hours and hours and anyway. But, hey, you know, speaking of playing, you got this beautiful LGO in front of you. Um, would you mind taking us out with a song or playing sure, something? What do, you, what do you want? Whatever you Anything. <laughs> um, yeah, play, play along with me. Let's play that water song. We're not Here, let me take this shirt off then. <laughs> then it'll look like, you know, something happened. Yeah, yeah, right. You can edit it together and it'll look like, oh man, what happened in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going to do more of these too, yeah. I think that um, what would, oh, oh you're not going to do any more here. But yeah. this would be better if there was like a picture of like, um, you know, Bozo the Clown or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Right, you so know? something, <laughs> something to people to focus their eyes on. Yeah, yeah, Instead yeah. Instead of like an old guy. <laughs> you know, they, they always would say, well, you know, you're not expected to make mo any money on the music now, you know, because things are different, man. It's a whole different paradigm. Like it'll yeah, be yeah. some young guy and he'll say, you know, you got to make money like on merch, you know, like selling T-shirts and stuff. And I'm like, are you serious? And they're like, oh, yeah, dude. And I was like, look, if I want to make money selling a T-shirt, I'm going to like make a like a rainbow unicorn yes, and yes. a little kitty. I'm not going to put a 55-year-old man I'm, on a t-shirt and hope to sell those. Unless it's a picture of you with like Tide detergent around your mouth that says Tide Pod Challenge in Tampion, <laughs> and you should have like a tally mark. It should be like three, or like or like three, and then like a half, a half. Set. That would, that, I would buy that. <laughs> just a just a suggestion. I'll take ten percent of whatever you make you know, off that idea. You know, you know, you know how many you'd end up sitting on. Yeah. <laughs> you'd end up going to your grave, and they could bury you in that shit. Okay, so let's see, let's see if we can do this again. Let's okay, try. let's start out again. This yeah, is yeah. uh. This is the amazing um, <laughs> Bert Franco here. Yeah, we'll see how long. Or do you go by some different name these days? Oh, it depends on who's asking. <laughs> okay, because you're always somebody different. That's, That's this, right. This is Bert over here on the guitar, and this is a song called One Water. Oh, let me start again. Okay. Um, this is Bird over here. <laughs> I, I can just edit it together. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can edit stuff <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I know how it works. <laughs> I think I do. This is, this is Bert on the guitar here. We're going to play through uh, a song, One Water. It's a tribute to uh, the people of Flint, Michigan. And it goes like this.
That's the goal. Oh, yeah.
you so much for doing this. You're a pal. Thanks, Bert. We'll do this That's again great. after the record comes out. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is great. Sorry for uh, giving you the grand tour, but I'm old. <laughs>